You want to know why you're all fucked up? What is nothing? Yeah, that's deep. What in the fuck are we doing here? What is something? That's deep, bro. Oh. Hi, welcome to That's Deep, Bro. I'm your host, Christina Pajitsky. Thank you for downloading this episode. Very excited to announce I am gearing up to tape my very first one-hour special. So come join me. See the hour that will be recorded. And um, well, I can't tell you where it's going. But, you know, hey, come see what I'm doing. April 13th through 15th at the Brea Improv. Um, April 28th and 29th, Sacramento at the Punchline, May 4th and 5th, Phoenix, Arizona at Stand Up Live, May 19th and 20th, New York City, Gotham Comedy Club, June 1st through 3rd, Denver Comedy Works, Denver downtown location, and then June 16th and 17th, Manfred Disco at the Punchline. I can't wait to see you guys. I'm very excited about this stuff. Also, um, hey, use my Amazon banner. If you do your shopping, uh, go to thatsdeeprowpodcast.com. Click on the banner at the bottom of every post. Do your shopping as you normally would. It just kicks back some change to the show. What else? There's a t-shirt for That's Deep Bro now you can buy on Tom Segura's merch page. Go to tomsegura.com and click on the store. Support this show. Show people that you're deep as fuck. And I believe... That's it for that. Okay. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Okay. Lots to get into today. Lots to get into today. Oh, I've been on the Instagram. I've been peeping people's profiles. I've been thinking, I've been thinking, I've been thinking. Okay, let's get into it. Standing in the dark, it's Oh, 
hi there. Welcome to That's Deep Bro. I'm your host, Christina Pajitsky. Thank you for downloading this episode. Thank you for watching on YouTube if you're watching there. Uh, yeah, good. I had, a, I had a great week this week. My husband's home off the road for the first time in like a month. It's been a nutty touring month for him. And um, oh, this is still playing. We had a good time. We 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 do this thing now once a month where we take a night off, just a night off from being parents, and we go stay in a hotel and we eat everything we're not supposed to, and we drink everything we're not supposed to, and we just space out, man, and sleep. I slept like eleven hours uh, this time around, and feels it feels great. You got to do it if you have kids. You got to get away with the with the spouse, man. That is like paramount. Otherwise, what's the point? You know, you, you can't just keep in the grind. Even if you don't have kids, you got to get away. You got to get away. You got to tune out from life because it, what's the point of living? You know, I just, I can still hear the song. Hold on. Sorry. It's somewhere. It's playing. Um you know, I just uh, I just recently had a uh, my stepfather just passed away, my ex stepfather, I should say, and you know, you realize like that seventy isn't that old, you know, and I'm forty. That's only thirty years from now. That's such a crazy short time. It's like the blink of an eye, and and when you look back on your life, you're not, you know, I'm on my deathbed. I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm so stoked. I took that uh, weekend at the Toledo Funny Bone. Or, um, you know, I'm just, I'm super excited I worked all those extra hours. <laughs> probably not. You're probably going to remember the vacations you took with the people you like, um, eating the food you weren't supposed to eat and like laughing at stuff. So we did that. That was rad. But there was this guy. So we, we stay on the beach. We, we go to this place on the beach and there's this restaurant we go to that's right there on the water and there's two tables in the front there and you can just look at the, at the ocean and it's just magical. And Tom and I show up and we ask for one of the tables. It's directly in front of the water and the waitress goes, Oh, that one's reserved. Sorry. No. And I look around all the other tables. It's the middle of the day. It's hot as balls out. And the sun is just, you know, cooking these tables. Uh, but the only one that doesn't that has an umbrella is the one in the front that we're asking for that is reserved. And I go, look, we can't sit anywhere else. We're just going to get sunburned. Is there any way you could either put up an umbrella, or we can sit there? And um, and she, okay, hold on, let me let me um, figure something out. And she kind of disappears. And Tom and I are just standing there. And he's like, what do we do? I mean, wh- who do we talk to? I'm like, oh no, there's no need to talk. You just stand here long enough that you make enough people uncomfortable that they're forced to deal with you. That's kind of what I've learned in life is like, if you make yourself enough of an inconvenience to staff, they'll address it eventually. So we just stood there and I read my people magazine. I found out what happened to Richard Simmons. Apparently he's still alive and well and just doesn't feel like seeing anybody right now. Yeah, right. Uh, So we stand there and then we get seated in the said reserve table. And we're sitting there enjoying our life, and this guy walks up. Well, I imagine he's Russian. I've already, I think he's definitely, he's my tribe. He's an Eastern blocker all the way. And I know this because he was, first of all, wearing all white, which is our uniform of choice. We wear white pretty much when the, when the snow melts. Eastern blockers are wearing white pants 
and white shirt. That's our uniform, and and homeboy was wearing that. Uh, of course, white kicks, white socks, white pants, white shirt, white hair. Definitely Eastern black. So I'm like, holy shit, Tom, look at the white Duke. I call him the white Duke. He comes in, and the Duke kind of eyeballs our table, and he starts yelling at the server. And I'm like, oh, this is the Duke's table, dude. It's a fucking Duke's table. And um, and Tom's like, I don't give a shit. We're here for I'm like, yeah, no, no. It's not our responsibility. That's a fucking YP. That's not an MP. It's your problem, not my problem. And uh, I watch the Duke from afar. And I watch him talking to the waitress. And he's pointing and he's yelling and he's doing the thing. And eventually, they seat the Duke right next to us, the table right next to us. They pull out a brand new umbrella for him. They open it up. The Duke sits down. The Duke has his wine. And the Duke's happy. And the Duke is alone, by the way. So this motherfucker was like, "Uh uh-uh, I want to sit there. And I want to sit there alone. Fuck you. Make it happen. And I thought to myself, like, yeah, that's the attitude you want to carry through life, right? That's that's how you got to be to get shit done. You don't have to be an asshole. I'm not saying the Duke was a jerk about it. I'm just saying there was a level of persistence that is oftentimes necessary. I had a wonderful boss who I worked for for many years, and he said one thing to me when I was in my 20s, and and I was afraid of calling people to get things done. You know, like uh, I would get really nervous about talking to people on the phone when I was like 28 years old. And he said to me, he goes, Christina, you can't be afraid to exert your will on other people. And at the time I was like, oh God, that sounds so mean. What a horrible, mean thing to say. And then you kind of get older and you're like, well, yeah, that's not such bad. uh, That's not such bad advice. Because when you think about it, there's just a sea of people going, me, me, pick me. I I want my thing. And you kind of have to be the person who's like, no, no, no. I'm going to sit there. I want you guys to bring out the umbrella and this is what's going to happen right now. And the Duke was that person. And the Duke had that tenacity. And that's what I fucking love. Not being a jerk, just asserting your will on others when you can. Not, not you know, because sometimes you have to. Sometimes you have to ask more than once. And I, you know, it's there's one thing to like, I really hate the whole make it happen philosophy that we have in, in our like, um, and our self-help movements, like, gotta make it happen. You're gonna make that shit happen. And like, yeah, there's a limit to how much you can make shit happen, right? Like, um, you can't really force other people to be into what you're doing or into your work or or for them to rally around you and support you in your career. That, that's not gonna happen. Um, you can hopefully attract the right people and then, you know, take good care of those folks but the whole idea of like forcing things to happen, it never works. And it never works because you're not working with the right elements. Now, going to a restaurant and demanding a table, that's a different story. That that you can actually <laughs> force your will upon and, and, and it works. And it works. It works all the time. Because why couldn't you? Why doesn't the Duke deserve the table in the front? He wore his white outfit. He deserves it. He wants to sit there and think his Duke-ass thoughts. Let the guy do it. But as far as making things happen and other... The reason that never works is because you're, you're trying to force the will of others. I think that's why that stuff never works, you know. Uh, for years, I was trying to win over people in showbiz. Oh, they just liked me and then I could do this. It's like, yeah, that's not going to happen. No one gives a shit. You can't, you can't make them give a shit about you. You have to... Eventually, they just come around and they realize that you're awesome. 
You know what I'm saying? And you're like, yes, motherfucker, I knew that all along. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. You get your life. You finally got on board. <laughs> okay. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Oh, God. I'm drinking a Diet Coke. It's caffeine-free and it's diet. That means there's um, there's nothing bad in this. There's no calories. I don't know what compelled me. Oh, there's still phenanolanoline in it, so that's good. I'm still giving cancer to myself in some way, shape, or form. Well, that's good. That's good to know. This has to be the worst possible thing you can put uh, into your body ever is just a can of Coke. Isn't that funny? And this is, do you know why Coke is the most popular brand of soda pop in the world? Do you know why? It's not because it's the best. This is very interesting. I'm very interesting. (laughs) Uh, It's not because it's the best. It's not because it's better than Pepsi. It's not because it's better than any other soda in the world. The reason Coca-Cola is the most popular soda in the world is because the Coca-Cola company spends the most money on advertising, right? And they do it. It's not just so that you you know Coke. Everyone knows Coke, right? We saw the movie, The Gods Must Be Crazy. Uh, some guy in the middle of Africa knows what Coke is. It's not that you know what the brand is. It's that you are constantly reminded of what the brand is, who the brand is, and that you should constantly be having a Coke and a smile. Isn't that fantastic? They just keep pouring money into something that's already working, which is fascinating to me. And God, what a horrible business. I'm surprised they're not getting sued. How have we fucking uh, gotten rid of the tobacco industry? Hold on. I got to get water now. I got to hydrate. How have we lobbied against the tobacco industry and then not like soda? (laughs) We've even had McDonald's rein in the supersizing shit because of a documentary, but a filthy brown liquid where, I mean, you saw it as a kid, they would put a tooth in a can of Coke and then, you know, a week later it would be completely rotted. Remember those things you did as a kid? Like it's, it's foul. It's not meant for human consumption. So I'm going to clean my palate now. Mm. God damn. I just had to do it. I broke down. It's actually for my father-in-law. This is Top Dog's beverage of choice. Every time he comes to visit, we get a, a sixer of diet caffeine-free Coke, and that's just for him. And I broke down, and I fucking drank it, and I feel like I want to barf. There you go. Oh, God. What else? This is the, my favorite. So, um, as you know, I love to follow perfect moms of Instagram. It's my favorite thing ever. Um, I love it. I love the the culture of um, the perfect mom, the perfect celebrity mom actually is my, my favorite because as you know, uh, for those of us that are not super famous celebrities who don't have cooks and trainers and a house staff that supports us, those of us that look after our kids, uh, shit's hard. It's not easy. And, but the celebrity mom is wonderful because uh, she lets you know that she's just like you, <laughs> even though she's perfectly aerobicized and put together, 
Um, she's just like you. She's a mom. She's a mom. And my favorite celebrity mom is I'm now following, um, Alec Baldwin's wife who I I love Alec Baldwin. Good Lord. He's handsome still. And, um, her name is Hilaria Thomas Baldwin. And I guess she wrote a book called author of living clearly method. I don't know. She's a health guru. She looks fantastic. She is in perfect shape and she is a perfect celebrity mom. And, uh, okay. It's on my Instagram. If you're on there at Christina P A Z is my Instagram account. And as you know, I love Instagram. I love it. It is a window into other people's mental illness. If you want to know what's going on with somebody, if you want to know whether or not you should date them, friend them, defriend them, Look at the Instagram account. Now, I've been fooled. One time I didn't spot a total psycho uh, by the Instagram account, but most of the time, most of the time, you can tell who's a total sociopath by the Instagram feed. Now, uh, my favorite lately is the girl who just broke up with somebody and posts the thing about strong women. Uh, I'm a strong woman and men can't handle strong women. It's like, no, no, that ain't it, boo-boo. I think to be a human, you need to be strong. Uh, Men don't like you, not because you're strong, uh, but because you're crazy and you're posting shit like that. (laughs) Okay. (sighs) My favorite, too, is the um, inspirational slash aggressive quotes that dudes post, you know. They said, beware of the storm. I am the storm. Like, okay. Okay, cray cray. Yeah. Who, who are you fighting besides the demons in your own head? Huh? Who's the, uh, who's at war? So Hilaria Baldwin, I think she's a, she seems like a very nice lady and she's written some books and she's very fit. And there's a lot of pictures about, she's three children, three small children, which must be just bananas. And I'm talking like a toddler, a newborn, and then maybe it looks to be almost a four-year-old. That's a lot to handle for, for anybody. So three kids, her husband's a little bit older, Alec Baldwin. I don't know how old that motherfucker is, but so she posts, this is, oh, for fuck. God love her. I just love her so much. I want to be her. Okay. It starts with here it is. You asked. It has 65,000 views. It says, you asked, outer thigh and butt, exclamation mark, bend knees 90 degrees and four center, four knee down, four center, four toes down, repeat four times, heart. This is sped up. I was drying Leo off in between diapers and Rafa is obsessed with car, so he's a little fireball. Hashtag living clearly method. Hashtag found moment workout. And it's her laying next to her infant, like newbie infant, and the toddler's running around around her, and she's doing leg lifts. <clears throat> she's laying on the floor, and she's doing leg lifts, and like just thrilled about it. And then there's another one. God damn, I love this woman. See, this is she's the total package. And then here's another one. You asked. This has seventy three thousand views. You asked calves and quads, feet hip distance, bend both knees, straighten them whatever. And it's got her holding her toddler and she's like holding the baby on the front of her. And then she's doing like these lifts, calf lift, leg lift, whatever the fuck, like exercising with the baby in her arms. 
That's so great. I love that the mythology of like the found moment workout. Like, yeah, I'm going to do that, right? Like in between life, I'm going to take the stairs instead of the elevator, which sounds, you know, that's fine. That shit's not going to make you thin, by the way. Like just those simple life changes. Not really. No, not, not true. You know, and I know this because I've lost, oh, 50 pounds since I had my child. Uh, taking the stairs instead of the elevator's not gonna do it. It's not gonna do it. Um, cutting back on sugar and carbs. Yeah, but a lot, you gotta like cut them out entirely, especially if you're in your late thirties or 40 something like (laughs) basically you can't, you can't eat anything that tastes good or, uh, as appetizing. You know what I mean? You got to do just protein. Your carbs come from vegetables and you exercise a lot, like a lot, like so you really exercise, not just the stairs. That's not going to fucking do it when you're an adult, maybe when you're 20, but if you're a grown woman like me and you got big old mushy purple titties and a, a stomach that hangs over your pants now from being um, just inflated like a balloon from carrying a child, like your, your body is, it's dog shit. And uh, yeah, that, that little stuff ain't going to help. You know what I'm saying? You got to hire somebody to put your ass back into gear. You know what I'm saying? You feel me? I'm talking about, okay, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know. So there you go. Hilaria Bowman, follow her on Instagram. She seems like a lovely lady. Again, I have nothing against her at all. I just, I think it's, it's so fucking um, inspirational and beyond the scope of anything I could ever fucking do. I love it. 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 You got celebrity mom stuff, by the way. The reason you see um, that whole, by the way, when I looked through people magazine, when I was at the hotel with my husband the other day, it's really in, in just insipid the level of momming that they, they now do like death announcements, wedding announcements, baby announcements, baby bump, baby bump watch. And they take pictures of pregnant ladies with like arrows and how many months along they are. And you're like, God, this is really out of control. Like this is just retarded. And it started because celebrities in the late 80s, early 90s wanted to kind of re redo their image, let's say, like they were having an image problem. Maybe they were out of rehab or something and they wanted to jumpstart their career. What they would do is just pimp their kids. <laughs> that's why you start that's why you started seeing children in um tabloids. It's because celebrities were using their children to show how relatable they are. And later it became like a whole thing where now you have to pimp your kids all the time. What what do you mean? She's a perfect mom. She's a doting mother. And if you don't have the doting mother mythology before everything else, you're considered a shell of a human being, which is, I think it's just terrifying for those of us just trying to be a decent mom, just trying to get by, man, without doing leg lifts. (laughs) I'm not doing my leg lifts with my son. I'm just trying to raise a a non-sociopath. You know, I just want him to be a decent human being and not to be on drugs. I'm just trying to keep my kids off the dope. Isn't that the ultimate goal? Not a sociopath and not on drugs. And then we'll be good. He doesn't need to be a Nobel laureate. Doesn't need to be a fucking winner. Doesn't need to be on the honor roll. None of that stuff. Just like play a sport and get B's, just B's and C's. No D's, just B's and C's. And I'd be totally happy. Okay. Uh, Let's take some emails. I have to do... I always forget my theme song for it, for the emails. You want to know why you're all fucked up? There you go, Dan Pena. Okay, so this comes in from, he doesn't say whether or not I can use his name, so I will use his first name, uh, Zach. 
writes in, Swami Mommy Tina. Oh, I like that. In trying to get my whole entire life, I take time every day to reflect on the decisions I've made. I love it so far. Can I tell you that that I think is, is half the battle in life is to reflect on the decisions I made. That fucking sentence right there sums everything up. Uh, I take time every day to reflect on the decisions I've made. If everybody just fucking did that, don't you think the world would just be such a better place? Reflection, self-reflection. God damn it. God damn it. And you know, they made fun of me for studying philosophy. People, what are you going to do with a philosophy degree? What are you going to do with a philosophy degree? You can't make money with Socrates. Well, here's the thing. Philosophy teaches you how to use your fucking brain. Uses you how to read, understand what you've read. Now I can read anything and I can understand it because I've done the mental exercises. I've done the reps in philosophy. It's not about content. It's about the form. You learn, you train your mind a certain way and then you can apply it to anything. Okay. You train your mind to read and understand what you've read. You can conquer life. That's fucking facts, bro. Facts. That's all life is really following the fucking instructions. That's all, that's all it is. Follow instructions, break the rules when you can, when necessary and common fucking sense. You know, I already teach my kid common sense all the fucking time. I talk to him. He doesn't talk yet. Obviously he says a few words, but I tell him about common sense because I think in school you're just taught the rules, right? You're taught. I mean, I'm watching Sesame street every day and they teach the little kids Basically, hey, when you go to school, you got to be quiet. You got to raise your hand. Someone calls on you. You got to sit down. You got to follow the rules. Be a good worker. Be a good docile body, right? And then what happens? You go out in the real world and you're a good worker. You're a quiet, you're a docile body. And guess what? The docile bodies don't always win because that's not how the world works. It's completely opposite from what it takes to succeed in the real world. In the real world, you have to use your fucking mind. You have to assess situations. You have to use common sense. You have to every day reflect on the decisions that you've made and then fucking move on. And I, I'm only saying this because I learned it the hard way. I, I drank the academic Kool-Aid for many years. Ugh. And then you learn, hey, man, you got to adapt. And I'm not saying I'm not saying breaking laws. Don't do that. But but it's not all about beha- good behavior because especially as women, we're trained to be a uh, good women, right? Do your leg lifts while you've got your baby next to you. <laughs> you should look perfect. Everything's great. Yeah. Cook dinner, give your husband a blow job, whatever he wants and everything's great. It's just not, it's not possible. So also, by the way, you know, I talk about this stuff, this uh, women's stuff, feminism, race and gender, all this crap. The point is, know the, the rules to society. You should be aware of what the norm is so that you can say, go fuck yourself. I'm not doing it. I opt out. I'm checking out. I'm, I'm not on this train with you guys. And I think that's the mark <clears throat> of a mature human being is when you know the rules, you know what to do to get by. And then you simply opt the fuck out. <laughs> okay. You don't have to be defined by them. You don't. You just you can you can just say no. I say no all the time to a lot of stuff. I haven't worn a pair of high heels in uh, twenty years. I would say I've never fucking heels today. Okay. So and it, back to this email. Thank you, Zach. I take time every day to reflect on the decisions I made. Decisions made today previous decisions that produced some outcome today and any future decisions 
That will need to be made soon. I love this guy already. I've noticed recently that attachment is the biggest negative influence on my decision making. I've read the Tao Te Ching, which includes some teachings on the value of detachment. My rational brain thinks it understands, but my dumb animal brain can't get on board. I find myself compromising my own goals, desires, etc. due to attachment. Attachment to people, places, things. How can I let go and get to doing me? Know what I'm saying? Love you, mommy. Okay. I haven't read the Tao Te Ching, but I've read a lot about this idea of non-attachment. And I say non-attachment, I know what idea you're, you're speaking of, because detachment, from my perspective, and I don't know if this is an official documented Eastern philosophy thing, detachment sounds a little too um, hostile, right? De- to be detached is to be completely, uh, kind of like, fuck you, dude. I, I, to be detached is to be, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? not involved, totally removed, totally indifferent, rather indifferent. And indifference implies, right? They say the opposite of love isn't hate, it's indifference. So that's a different marker. <clears throat> You're not actively doing something, but it is kind of like total removement. Removement. Is that a word? Is that impactful? Um, to be totally removed. And I don't think that's the way to exist. The idea that you're referring to, I believe, is called is non-attachment. Okay, so what is attachment? From what I've understood reading, I've read all these nutbags, I've read the Ram Dasas, I've read my, my Swami Sachidananda's, and I've thought about this shit for years because I too did not understand non-attachment. My, my animal brain doesn't get it because your animal brain is designed to be completely attached to things. Your animal brain, your reptilian brain tells you that survival is number one, familiarity is number one, clinging to what works and trying to control everything. That's the reptilian brain. You want to control as much as possible because the brain recognizes what's familiar, right? That's the whole idea. This is familiar. This is good. Let's just keep it this way. I don't want, I don't want to uh, fuck it up. So <laughs> my husband's here. <laughs> Come say hi now. Come on. You've interrupted the game. Sorry. I didn't tell you I was recording. Sorry. I was just talking about attachment. Do you know what that is? Have you heard of that? Is it when you fart? You want to get on my? What are you asking me? Do you know, have you heard of attachment? Detachment or attachment? Attachment. Like when people are attached? Yeah. 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 Or when you're attached to something unhealthily. Unhealthily? Unhealthily. Is that a word? I don't know if that's a word. I don't think it's a word. (laughs) What would be an example of attachment to something unhealthily? Okay. So you know when uh, you're doing stand-up comedy? Yeah. And you, you go into a set and there's, there's a few ways you can be when you're, you can put headphones on if you want, get in on the show and you want to do really well. Right. Everybody wants to do well. Yes. And so you go into that. big myth. Some people say they don't care, which is totally not true. Right. And that would be detachment when someone goes, Oh fuck it. I don't care. I don't care what happens. I don't care how I do. Right. It's a lie. Everyone cares. Now, if you care too much, how you, how you're going to do though, what happens? Uh, if you care too much, then you take it too personally, the results, even whether they're good or bad. Right. Yeah. And not only that, you don't perform well. Right. Because you're, you're too yeah. thinking about it. You're not in the moment. You're in yeah. your head yeah. and you're going, oh my gosh, am I going to, uh, what was that? What was that? What was that? And it fucks up your whole deal. True. Now, if you're non-attached, 
It means that you go into it hoping for the best, bracing for the possibility of the worst. Yeah. You're not attached. You're not attached to the results of what's happening. And you're, you're freed up. Your brain is just given a little breathing room. And in that breathing room is where the creativity can, can flourish, right? Yeah. The break. Yeah, you can't think about how you're doing all the time. Right. You can't constantly be in your head about... Because it's like being the critic and the creator at the same time. And I think that's what attachment means. <laughs> that's what we're talking about. Wow. Did you work out? Hold on. Yeah, I'm going to come back to this after you're gone. Uh, how was it? It was really hard. What did you do? We did... Um, we did that, you know, the the warm-up thing. I hate the, the warm-up thing. With, with the weights in my hand and then... <sighs> Uh, let's see what we did today. Bunch of abs, uh, chest, oh, obliques, bunch of push ups. What's an oblique? Oh, yeah, I do those too. And then, not like me, I do it really good. And then, <laughs> okay, okay, look what I'm drinking. Oh, I know that's terrible. Well, I took a squirrely dump earlier. Oh, you talk about that on this show too? No, I didn't bring that up, but I just did now. It's like such a gnarly shit. And I was like, I mm. think I should. Doesn't Coke settle your stomach? Sometimes. I don't know. I don't think DC does. DC is for DCs. <laughs> DCs for LCs. Well, why, why is it regular Coke I think suits it, your stomach? Uh, the sugar? The regular, I think something about the, comp, like the syrup, the sugar, that settles your belly better than DC does. This tastes like shit. Yeah, DC has all those artificial shittle tastes. There's banana lolling yeah. in there. Yeah, it's not good. I'll let you do your thing. Okay, I love you. Thanks love for you stopping too. by, guys. Tom Segura, everybody. Give him a hand. Let him hear it. Good try. Just keep your head up and keep trying. <laughs> keep moving forward. It's all about moving forward. Oh, wait. Hold on. Come here. You can help me answer. I'm going to return to this subject. Yeah. But as long as you're here, I thought, why not ask you this one, okay? Okay. Hold on. Oh, God. There's oh, yeah. so many good I questions. Shh. Shh. Okay. It's called dead air. How do you get over stage fright? Um, well, I think you have to throw yourself into it. You can't think about it because stage fright is occurs more before you get on stage than when you're on stage. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So the build up. Like I've told the story before, but the first time I ever did stand up, proper stand up, uh, they announced they announced me before they told me I was going on. Oh, God. In other words, the I was supposed to go seventh. They have the you know the set the yeah. the, the lists. So you think the, you're going seventh, but and I, and I was like like really you know <laughs> freaking out. I was drinking a beer, which I don't Ooh. you know. I was trying to calm myself down. Yeah. And the MC announced me first. Oh my god! And then when I walked on stage, I was like, "Oh, seventh. And she looked down. She said, "Oh, you're right." <laughs> but she didn't care. Whoopsie. I mean, it was just some bullshit bar show. But you didn't have time to think about how nervous you were because it was just thrown into it. Isn't that interesting? And you were. You were what? Non attached. Non attached. The other thing that helps, just like any you know, everything else would, is repetition. You do it a lot. Yeah, I mean, reps. if you watch somebody who's been doing stand up 25, 30 years, they walk on stage like they're going to take a piss, you know? It's like <clears throat> yeah. it's, they don't think about it. And um, I mean, sometimes I feel like that. I'm just like, I don't think about stage fright at all. Yeah. But that's also 15 years in. It's repetition. Yeah. You basically beat your, it out of you. The, the instinct to self-preservation yeah. instinct gets beaten out of you in, yeah. if you practice enough. You're talking, you're talking about... You to abuse yourself. Like most people, when you're looking at your favorite comedians and you're wondering about stage fright, that person's been on stage thousands yeah. of times. That's not an exaggeration. 10,000 hours. Read yeah, your, read your Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. Richard? 
Malcolm Gladwell. Oh, you said, I thought you said Richard Malcolm Gladwell. <laughs> read your Malcolm oh, Gladwell. Oh, read your, okay. I got mush mouth today. Oh, yeah. It's tired. I have that sometimes. Would you bring me a nice soda? No. Please. I'm going to go take a shower. But please, I can't get up. You I'm doing my shower. What you got? What flavor? Cream soda. How far down did you drink it? Not much. Okay, yeah, give me that. I'll tell you. Thanks, Gene. All right, thank you for no, answering. I'll bring you. Do you want another one? Which one do you want? No, no, no. I like this one. Yeah. Don't come back. Go shower. Go shower your nuts off, and then we'll go play with the kid. Okay. I love you. Love you, too. I love you. Keep your jeans up. <laughs> so stupid. Thank you for stopping by, Tom Segura. We're bullies. This is hilarious <laughs> guy. Just blew me down. So there you go. Uh, but the attachment, yes, back to that. So also the idea of clinging to something, it doesn't really help you in the long run. You know, when you really, again, and this goes back to what I was saying in the beginning of the show about making things happen. It never, never works. I'm talking on large scale, not little stuff, getting the table at the restaurant. You can make that shit happen. Um, but you're also kind of forcing wills, right? So if you're attached to something and you're so in your head about it, you're actually going to screw it up. That's why the swamis and the gurus tell you non-attachment. Well, the Eastern philosophy says that. Uh, It's also very punishing to be attached. The idea of if I don't get this, my life falls apart. Or if I lose my house, if I lose, if I were to lose this or that or this person or this, I would fall apart. And the truth of it is, no, you wouldn't. You would for a little bit. Um, but you'd find a way to survive. Most of us do. All, everyone has tremendous loss in their lives. Everybody. Nobody is immune to death or loss or grief. And you go on. Now, it's the anticipation of losing the thing that often tortures us. It disturbs your peace of mind, right? And that's what old Swami, my Swami, Sajidananda, uh, talks about is p- uh, preserving peace of mind. That is the most sacred thing that you have. The only thing you can control is your mind and how you deal with it. So how do we stay non-attached? How do you possibly um, stay non-attached? I, I, had a, I had a really hard time doing this um, for a long time. and I, But the reason I had such a hard time is because I think I was living too much in the land of me, quite honestly. I, I think I was like, you know, you want this thing to happen in your career or this whatever thing to happen. And I, I would get so attached to the thing happening. And if it doesn't, then I'd be so devastated. And really what took me out of that was having a kid just because now I'm kind of grounded in that reality, right? If you're grounded in stuff that is not, it's not impermanent having a child. I think the love for a child is impermanent. The love that you feel for something is impermanent. For instance, let's use stand-up as a great example. I can't be attached to every show, how the outcome of that is received, how people receive my material. I'm about to shoot a special. I can't be attached to the outcome of that. If people like me, if people don't like, oh my God, is it going to... But what I can be attached to is my love my love of the game. I love doing stand-up. I've, I've loved it for 15 years. I'm going to continue loving it. Whatever happens, right? And that's kind of what you can attach to, in a sense, is the process is the love, is the meaning, the inherent meaning that sustains, that kind of lives through death and, and destruction and all that stuff. Um, you know, I, I think too, the idea of, of, of non-attachment is that if, you know, you don't want to chase after certain things, like the big things, you don't want to chase after people. You certainly don't want to chase after love. That's, that never goes very well from my experience. I'm, if whenever I've chased it, 
what happens, right? Let's say you're, you're running towards something. Uh, it just keeps running farther away from you, right? It runs farther away from you. I think he's talking about the shadow. Swami uses the example of a shadow. If you're running, the shadow is always behind you, right? So what do I do? Do I, Well, you stop running and you turn around and you go towards the light is what he says, God. They, they all use God. You go towards God. And then when you go towards God and you get centered and you focus on you, you focus on your priorities, which are sustainable, love, light, joy, caring for others. Maybe it's charity work. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's some other thing that brings you great joy, your dog, your cat, your spouse, blah, 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 the positive things. Then the other things start to come because you're not attached to them. They feel attracted to you, right? Because you're not clinging to, I have to have this. I have to have this thing. I have to have success. I have to have love. I have to, you know, you ever notice that with dating when, um, when you really want to find that person, Oh, I got to find a person. I got to find a boyfriend. I have to find a girlfriend. I have to find this life partner. That's when you don't meet the person. And that's why everybody says to you, Hey, if you're just calm and chill and you're doing your thing, you're going to meet them when you least expect it. Cause that's when you're attractive, when you're not clinging to something. I think the only way that you're not clinging is when you're kind of distracted by something else. Quite honestly, that's, that's why they, they use meditation a lot. Um, you know, the swamis, they tell you to meditate all the time. Why? Because it centers you. It brings you back into focusing on your own self, focusing on joy, on light, on whatever love so that you're not sort of clinging and grasping and uh, you're not in that state of anguish. So basically distraction, <laughs> that's how you can be. Um, and that, so now I don't know why you're compromising your own goals, desires due to attachment, attachment to people, places, things. And, that, and that's the thing. I don't, um, I don't believe in, I don't know if it's possible for humans unless you are a great guru to be completely unattached, non-attachment. I don't know. That's, that takes a huge level of swamidom. Like you got to live in a cave in the Himalayas for 30 years to get there. Um, as humans, we're constantly clinging to things and things are constantly decaying and changing and morphing around us. So the, the more comfortable you are with change and flux and crap, uh, the easier it's going to be. So I don't understand, you know, compromising your own goals due to attachment. I'm not sure what that means, um, but it's normal to be attached to people, places, and things. It's very, very normal. And some of that is healthy. It's not, you know, these gurus who live alone in the Himalayas don't have families, <laughs> don't have girlfriends, boyfriends, dogs, and cats because they're totally non-attached. Now, those of us living in the uh, real world, are totally attached to those things. And there's a healthy level that should happen there. I'm attached to my husband. And I think in a very healthy way, I'm attached to my child. I'm attached to my dogs. I'm attached to this life. Now, were I to lose it all tomorrow, would I be devastated? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it would be horrifying and terrible. Um, But if I think about it all the time, if I worry about it all the time, if I freak out about it all the time, then I'm in a state of attachment. And I think if I go rationally. Well, if Tom died tomorrow, I would be very devastated. I'd be devastated probably the rest of my life. Would I be able to go on? I guess so. I guess I'd find a way to go on. I don't know. If I lost my child, I'd be devastated beyond anything. Would I go on? I guess I'd have to. You know, you kind of put things in perspective. Um, So there, I hope that answers your question, Zach. 
non-attachment is just a, a lot easier when you're relaxed and you kind of realize, and I, I think I realized this is like, dude, it comes, it goes, everything comes, everything goes, it ebbs, it flows. There's a wave to stuff, right? Like there's an upswing and there's a downswing. There's always an up and a down. And it's really just about weathering the storm, just surfing it, staying, staying cool in it and not getting too hung up on the good or the bad, except the good when it comes and let it go, let it go too. When it leaves, that's the problem. We get attached to clinging to some good in our lives. I have to have it this way. I have to keep doing it perfectly. I have to have this person, this thing I have to have. And then the more you do that, the more it just runs from you. That's the fucking truth of it. So if you really want something, I read this in the, um, was it the War of Art, the Art of War? There's two books actually. There's one called The War of Art, and then there's The Art of War. <laughs> um, no, I think it was something of power. If you really want something, show disdain for it. Um, and I think that just means you kind of ignore it a little bit, and then it comes around. That's the absolute truth, mommy. That's the truth. Okay, here we go. This is an interesting question. This came in. Okay. <clears throat> how do I go about telling a lady that I am a virgin if I say it at all in parentheses to provide some context? I am a 23 year old male from Australia. I lost my virginity to my girlfriend when I was 13 or 14. Yep. It's been almost 10 years. So long that I just consider myself a virgin or whatever a label is to describe someone that is sexually inexperienced. We only dated for six months. Since then, I haven't had another girlfriend or any sexual experience. The biggest reason for this was that I've been dealing with mental health issues since I was 17. It's been a long, long road, but I am now in the best place I've ever been. And with, the new, and with my newfound confidence and self-esteem, I've now made a conscious decision to try and actually date as opposed to having a crush from afar and then being crushed by it. That hasn't exactly been an easy thing. I could write a whole separate email on that, but your explanation that the 20s is simply hookup culture is right on point and probably a reason why it has not been easy. But anyway, I'm sure at some point I'll meet a nice lady and we'll get to that moment when it comes up between the sheets. I'm not usually one that goes out and tries to pick up, so I'm going to assume I still haven't had any sexual experiences at this point. My question is... Should I be upfront and honest about it or should I wing it and hope I can pull it off like an unprepared speech in class? <laughs> oh, Chris is the guy's name, Chris. Oh, mommy. Poor jeans. That's tough. It's tough because you're, you know, you're so young. 23 is so fucking young. It's such a shit age. Mm. Okay. Well, let's put it in perspective. Number one, you're not a virgin technically. Okay. So to tell somebody you're a virgin is technically inaccurate. You're just considered inexperienced. And quite frankly, at 23, I mean, how much experience do most people have? My God. I mean, I know, I know there's a huge range out there, but 23, I feel like there's not, you really sh- shouldn't have. <laughs> most people don't have a ton of experience by 23. So you're not that far behind the curve, I would say. So don't get too hung up on like, oh my God, everybody's out there just slanging dick and I'm this dude that hasn't, you know, try not to get into your head 
so much about that. Because uh, 23, ultimately, you're not, you shouldn't be that experienced at that age, I think. So, um, okay. Now, here's another, here's another problem with, uh, with this era we live in. This whole idea that everybody should disclose everything all the time and we should be completely open and nobody's got any fucking boundaries anymore. And um, should I be out and proud about being, you know, astral gendered? And should I fucking tell people that I'm a devil worshiper who likes to do ballet and makes donuts in her free time? Like, no, not everybody needs to know everything about you all the time, right? There is like a time and a place that you reveal certain information that you reveal certain information. Is that even grammatically correct? There's a time and a place that you, you tell your prospective love interest about stuff like this. Uh, it's a process, right? Dating. When you get to know somebody in the beginning. Um, all right. So let's, let's, let's get real specific. Let's say you take a girl out. First date. First date should be nothing but chuckles. Nothing but what's this person's personality like? Are we, are we uh, jamming in terms of uh, what do we find funny together? Are we laughing? Are we having a good conversation? And it's light conversation. I cannot stress this enough. The first date should be nothing but movies, books, music, television shows. Hey, did you see that thing on Netflix? Oh my God. No way. OJ crazy. It should be that kind of stuff. Hey, where did you grow up? Oh, I, you know, Ohio, I budded it or whatever. Why is Ohio coming up today? I don't know. Um, but don't get into specifics. Well, I grew up uh, in a town and uh, my drunk uncle used to come over and beat the crap out of my mom. And like, no, 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 no. That's not for tonight. Tonight is light and easy. Think about just, you know, small talk with a little bit of depth. You go, you go a little deep, but no, 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 no. And if that, if you, that first date is good, then you go out again, right? I mean, am I too old timing? I know you kids just meet on apps and bone each other in bathrooms and Starbucks, but my God, back in the day, you actually got to know a human being before you uh, mashed genitals together. So second date, you know, it's, it's a little deeper and you get to know each other. And, and anyways, but the point being is that I, I don't know how, how soon people sleep together. I, I think it's been, it shouldn't be longer than, what is it, three dates? Is that the rule? I think that's even too soon to allow somebody to ejaculate inside of you. It's banana. Oh, I've only known you for three hours? Sure, come on in. Put your penis inside of me. <laughs> Let's fluid bond. Bananas, bananas. No, no. Anyways, eventually you get to know somebody and it's a gradual process and then you disclose X, Y, and Zs, but it's only in due time. You don't bring the baggage on the first few dates. It's a it's a wait to know ya period. And yeah, look, I think it's totally fine to come clean, but only to the people who deserve it. Um, only tell it to the girl who you vetted a little bit. You have some trust going. You think she's a good person and she's not going to tell everybody at school or on the internet about your status, right? She's not going to ridicule you. It's all about who you share that information with. And yeah, tell her. You know, girls, I think girls are, I think, a little more forgiving about stuff like that. I don't think anybody expects you to be a Casanova at 23, by the way. Like, I, I don't, I can't imagine that girls have high expectations at 23, you know, if you were 43, I'd be like, oh, you should keep that shit a secret. But 23, I mean, who cares? 
I say, um, yeah, tell them, hey, last time I did this, I was a, I was a younger guy. Don't, you don't have to tell them exactly how long it's been. It's been a while. Just say it's been a while. You, know, so you don't have to disclose actual... You don't have to disclose actual years and crap, you know. That's why my husband, he's so smart. He never tells me exact numbers on anything. I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember. This is the fucking go-to. I don't remember. Yeah, right. Just say you don't remember. Keep it Keep it uh, a little vague until you really get to know that person and trust that person. And then you guys can laugh about it when you're married and you have, you know, five kids together. But... uh I don't know why the pressure or so much pressure on sex. Yeah, the 20s are tough. The 20s are tough on people who have souls and and consciences. And um, the 20s are tough on people that have like values <laughs> and hearts. So it's tough. It's a tough era because, you know, dudes just, <clears throat> dudes just want somewhere to put it. They don't care. They don't generally, they don't really care. So it's it's a terrible. I was just getting bras at Nordstrom yesterday and the sales girl was like this adorable 20-year-old girl. Really, by the way, if you're not going to Nordstrom to get your bras, get your life because these bitches down at Victoria's Secret, they don't know what's up. You got to get like a well-made, well-constructed bra and have somebody measure you. That's the secret to everything. Measure you. Then you can really, you know, get a nice fit. So this cute girl was helping me and she's blonde and she's totally like, Oh my God, you're so crazy. You know, whatever. Oh my God, you're so funny. You're saying all this crazy stuff. And I'm, I'm just joking with her. I think she's lovely. And, and I turned to her and, uh, and I'm just like, man, I, I gotta tell you, she's no, cause she asked me, what's that like being like a mom? Is that, is that cool? And I was like, it's great. It's really fucking great. I actually enjoy being this age. I enjoy being a little older, um, and off, off the fuckability list a little bit. You know what I mean? I'm not saying I'm totally, I'm not saying, and I don't, please don't email me and tell me, I think you're hot. I'm, this is not fishing for compliments in any way, shape or form. This is really more of, uh, of like, it's just, you're, you're not so much a piece of meat when you're 40 and it's, it's great to not be constantly objectified <laughs> Because when you're 20, you're just you're just a fucking piece of meat, and every dude just wants to take a bite, and it's horrible. It's a it's actually. I mean, I remember from the time I was like 12, being you know, dudes whistling at me. I'm like, I'm 12. I'm wearing a training bra for Christ's sake, because it starts so early. The guys don't know. Maybe they don't know how old you are. You might look older or whatever, but. It's oppressive. I remember when I went to the Middle East and I wore um, hijab like as a goof. I, I bought one because I was walking around during Ramadan. It was a pretty dicey time to be in the Middle East. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. I was entertaining the troops. And I, uh, I bought a hijab, which is the full head wrap and then the, that body outfit, which I don't remember the name of. And I wore it one time just around just to see what it was like. I wore it in the UAE somewhere in uh, Dubai. I wore it. And I remember feeling like, of course, this is bizarre, but I remember feeling like free. I remember thinking to myself, oh, this is what it's like to just be invisible. You know, this is what it's like. Like I'm dressed like the ghost from Pac-Man, but I feel free. Cause there's the dudes can't leer at you there. They don't eyeball you that way. I mean, the dudes wear it like white 
um, outfits too, like the white robes that you can kind of see through on escalators. I remember like looking up and seeing like through a dude's white thing and I was like, oh, that's so risque. But um, it was oddly freeing. And I'm, I don't know, maybe that's why the women are still down for it in some way because they can't leer at you that way. Now they can throw rocks at you if you sleep with the neighbor boy or just get accused of sleeping with the neighbor boy. But, you know, hey, it's perfect, right? Am I right? We're all flawed. <laughs> the enemy. Um, so, yeah. Uh, you know, honesty is great. It's, it's just about when you, you use it. Um, and, that, and by that, I mean selective of who gets to know that information. Find a nice girl. There's got to be some nice girls out there. There are. There are nice, sweet girls out there that aren't um, total pigs, total, total scumbags. You know what I'm saying? Okay, back to stage fright, because I like this. The guy writes, I was emailing on how to deal with stage fright. I'm currently trying to become more active in my local gigging open mic scene as a way to become better at playing the guitar and make new friends with similar hobbies. The problem is whenever I get invited to jam or to an open mic, I either have to say I can't go due to university work. Oh, you're totally Canadian. You said university. Or if I do go, the thought of playing in a and on stage freaks me out and I forget how to play. I feel like if I keep saying no to doing these things, I will end up doing something I don't have any passion for, i.e. being stuck in a dead-end job and dreaming of what could have been. You're right. You're right, my love. If you give in to your base fear, you will end up working a dead-end job and you will not realize your dreams. Absolute truth right there. Because your 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 reptilian brain is functioning correctly. (laughs) Your brain, your survival brain is telling you, if I go up there in front of all these people, I will humiliate myself. They will laugh. My ego will be shattered and I will feel like crap and I'll have to deal with that. And you're right. And that's normal. That is called a normal, healthy thing. Public speaking, by the way, is like the number one fear besides flying or whatever. I don't know, getting eaten by crocodiles, but there's a reason because it's risking social humiliation and to not belong to the tribe is it means that you're not going to get food, right? I'm talking about like primal level shit. If you, if you are ostracized from the tribe, if they point at you, if they laugh at you, if they mock you, you're not going to eat, you will not have shelter and you will not reproduce. So those are like biological, uh, it's embedded in your DNA to be terrified of putting yourself out there and in front of others and the focal point of whatever's happening in the room. It's, it's completely unnatural and it, it requires so much um, undoing of social norms to do something like this. It's fucking crazy. And it took me, I would say seven years before I didn't have violent waves of diarrhea before every time I went on stage, seven years of it. And I saw this interview but um, I think it was Adam Sandler and he talked about doing stand-up and having stage fright. And he said, you know, I just kept doing it. <laughs> I don't know why what Adam Sandler had to say helped me, but he was like, you know, I just kept doing it because I figured that someday it would go away if I just kept doing it. And it's absolute truth. Like anything, the more you do it, the the less daunting and the easier something gets. And, you know, it really is just a matter of saying to yourself, okay, look, in the grand scheme of things, is playing the guitar in front of people, what's, is this, is this 
me in Afghanistan looking for fucking IEDs with a squad of dudes right now? No, I'm not going to get blown up. I am not, um, I'm not dying of cancer. I'm not curing cancer. I'm just playing guitar for these people right now. Like, you know, that helped me anyways in the beginning is to put it in perspective. Like what's really fucking happening right now? And the big, big picture stuff, this is not that big of a deal. And, and I had this great advice. Oh, Mitch Fatel gave me one time. He goes, you know what, Christina, whatever happens up there, just tell yourself that you can take care of yourself after. So if you bomb, just know you can take care of that feeling because really all you're afraid of is the feeling. You're afraid of feeling shitty about yourself, right? You're afraid of feeling like a failure, or like you're not good at something that you thought you might be. Um, and fear is a very powerful, powerful thing. And fear keeps us living really, really small lives. That's a huge thing. Um, there's a great book that I recommend on fear by Susan Jeffers called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. And by the way, I made a list of my like top few books um, if you want to look at that, it's on that seatbropodcast.com. It's about two entries ago. Um, and I put links to where you can get it as well. So you can buy it directly on Amazon. It's not even with my link guys, but feel the fear and do it anyways is a fantastic book because it breaks down the different types of fears that there are in the world and why we have them and how you can overcome them. And the truth is what she, her point is, is like, like look, you're never going to li- live a life that's completely free of fear. Okay. Every time someone, you know, you, every time you watch like, I don't know, football, those guys are still scared to go out there, but they do it anyways. So it really is about, uh, exploring fear and just, you know, telling yourself to go ahead and do it. Um, do it anyways. Yeah. It just takes time. Excuse me. Time. Oh, I'm going to fucking throw up time, time, uh, your 10,000 hours, read your book, your Malcolm Gladwell. He talks about practice. Talk about practice. You got to practice. And ultimately, you got to get out of your own way. You got to get out of your own head. It's that non-attachment thing because you're too worried about what other people think. If you're focused on playing the guitar, if you're focused on singing your own song, right? Like if I focus on the audience too much, then I'm not going to do well because I'm worried about them. But if I'm focused on the material and what I want to say and how I'm going to say it and like, oh, I'm going to try this new thing. It's going to be super fun. Then all of a sudden the show gets transformed and it's about the show. It's about the material. It's not about me. So you're making this shit about you. It ain't about you, boo. It's about what you're doing, what you're playing. So get into the music. Don't get into your head about the performance, just into the music. Because that's what makes a great performance. I think is it's it's not when it's about, um, when you can tell that someone's like, especially with music, when somebody's really into what they're doing, that's why I think I love Kim Deal. Like I, I watch her and her videos. She's so into the song, right? They're so into the singing of the thing that there's no pretension. You can tell. It's just like, oh, that's what they're doing right now. It's so great. That's what's captivating is when someone gets lost in the material. They're not thinking. They're just kind of feeling and rolling and rolling and rolling. It's pretty exciting shit. So there. Okay. Well, I hope that helps you guys. Oh, perfect. We just we just ended on perfect time. We had a little guest appearance today from Tom Segura. I'm sorry you guys couldn't see him on YouTube. We have a two-camera setup for your mom's house, but I only run one, obviously, since there's only me talking to <laughs> to the camera. But you got to hear him. That's very exciting. 
Uh, yeah, thank you for downloading. Thank you for watching on YouTube. And I will be back next week with even more That's Deep Bro. Send me your emails. That's Deep Bro Podcast at gmail.com. Oh, I forgot to do it. We'll do this next time. I'm not even going to talk about it. Um, thank you for listening. And we'll see you next week. Thanks, Jeans. Now what? I don't know. Philosophize with Philosophize with It's Christina P, a.k.a. Miss Jeans. This ain't your mom's house. It's a different theme. Gotta be critically thinking. Like you caught up at a cocktail party. Our thoughts start to sink in. John Locke, or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates. Got us talking all properly, topically. Just a comedian discussing these philosophies. Serious questions, silly people. What's that? That's deep, bro. It is the ultimate metaphor for life, and you know what that is? What? That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro. That's deep.